teach, what she's got on her heart. And I want to say something too, that it's always a little, a little tough when the Holy Spirit moves and we get into all kinds of uh, ministry that takes time, then come on, that we, um, we don't, you know, it's hard. I, I, if I'm teaching, I don't have a problem because I can just kind of wing it, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about Nina. But Nina, not so much. <laughs> Nina, not so much. So she's going to teach and uh, we may go a bit over noon. I'm not sure what oh, you'll do. Probably noon. Pretty close. Yeah. So, um, also, I want to say something about the about the volume of sound during praise. Don't be freaked out about that. Remember, th- consider the volume of sound that happened after the armies of Israel walked around Jericho seven times, totally silent. They were building up, building up, building up spiritual energy, and then when they shouted, there was a burst, like a laser burst of God's spirit that. Pushed the walls down all around the city. Pushed them in. Or did they fall out? They fell out. That's even more miraculous. But they, so spiritual power produced a physical effect. So when we're loud like we were this morning, that's a spiritual reality that's happening. It's clearing the atmosphere and it's doing stuff in the spirit wherever, not only here, but wherever God would send that, uh, that uh, anointing of his. So, this is Nina Taylor, everybody. I'm going to pray. <laughs> Father, we just thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence with us. And we just ask that you would continue to speak to us and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Last spring, uh, I started writing a novel And I felt really good about it. It was like, I've started novels before, but they kind of peter out, and I don't finish. But this time I had a plan of attack. I was going to get this done. And the thing about writing for me is it's something that I feel like God has given me to do. And so this novel was going very well. And by the end of August, I thought, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to finish writing this by the end of 2018. But then in September, my dad went into the hospital just for one night. But it just kind of changed everything for me. I stopped writing, and he died a few weeks later. At some point, a few weeks after he died, I was alone in the car. And out of the blue, I just heard God say to me, what story are you telling with your life? God really knows how to talk to us, doesn't he? He just finds a way to speak to us in a language that we can hear. And I just let that question sort of sit with me for a bit because it felt way too big to answer. But then, as I thought about it and thought about it, the question kind of made me angry. (laughs) Um, I'll give you a little background information since a lot of you don't know me very well. Four years ago, my husband and I separated, and it was a very tumultuous separation. Um, he was an alcoholic. He had mental illness. We, it was very frightening. Um, I had a protective order for a year, and all of that would have been bad enough if just I had to live with it, but all of my boys had to live with that too, and it was devastating to them and frightening for them. 
And so I can say in all honesty that that is not a story that anybody wants to tell with their life. And when God posed this question to me in November, there were other things going on as well. I mean, I was grieving my father, and also um, my brother has been helping me uh, financially since my divorce. Um, He has given my family and I a place to live rent-free, and all of those things he had told me would be changing. And so you can see... (laughs) I was really in a bad place and feeling, honestly, like a failure. Like, I'm losing my home, I can't provide for my family, and oh, I'm also not writing, which is a thing that I feel like God has told me I should be doing. (laughs) And uh, so I thought about that question, and I was like, God, you know, I want to tell one story with my life but I feel like this pen just keeps getting knocked out of my hand. And the story that I'm telling is not the story I want to be telling at all. The story that I want to tell, and probably the story you might want to tell, is a story that looks like success. I wanted to tell a story where I had a happy and functional marriage. I wanted to tell a story where my kids were happy always. They never suffered. I wanted professional success. I wanted to provide for my family. I want to be a published author. These are the things. This is the story that I want to tell. And I think, you know, because we live in the 21st century, in the first world, we think we have, like, a lot of self-determination over our lives. And we also think, you know, success is our standard, Who doesn't want to succeed? And then there's social media. If you spend any time there, it is just always giving you pictures and information about what a good life looks like. You know, this is my great family. This is the vacation we are taking. This is the restaurant we went to. I got a promotion. My child got into their number one college. (laughs) And... I use social media, so I'm not condemning you. (laughs) Um, But I'm saying that when we use it, we just have this information that is always kind of flooding toward us about that frames success, and it frames what life is about. And what I want to talk about today is the fact that God sees these matters differently than we do. We use one measuring stick, or we tend to, and he uses another. And if we want to know God, and if we want the people who meet us to meet God, then we need to value life the way he values it. When I finally had some time and the courage to ask God, you know, what do you mean when you're asking me? What story are you telling with your life? He said to me, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. When God asked me that question that day, he knew I felt like a failure, but he was trying to help me to reframe things and see it in a different light. Matthew 16, 21 through 26, the 
verse. There you go. <laughs> um, from says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And what I see here is that Peter had one agenda and Jesus had another Jesus said to Peter, you're a stumbling block to me. Your concerns are human. They're not God's concerns. And I think this is so interesting because Peter and Jesus were friends. Peter had been following Jesus so closely. He was his disciple. His whole life was wrapped, at that point, was wrapped up in Jesus's mission. But still, in an important way, Peter didn't get it. And so I think if Peter didn't get it, isn't it possible that sometimes we don't get it? That God is, we think God is up to one thing, but really he's up to something else altogether. And let's look at Jesus. He had a successful three-year mission, ministry. He had disciples who followed him, huge crowds gathered to hear him speak. He performed miracles. He raised people from the dead. He fed people with, a, you know, thousands of people with a few loaves and a few fish. People were getting healed everywhere Jesus went. The sick flocked to him. And right in the middle of all of this, where it was going like gangbusters, he let himself be crucified. And... Since we're called to be like Jesus, then I think that it makes it clear that sometimes we are called to die too. There are times when God calls us to set aside our own agenda, even when we think it's God's vision or agenda, and die to ourselves. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four to 37 says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Back in November, when God asked me what story I was telling with my life, I feel like he was pressing on this sore spot in me. I felt like a failure because my measuring stick was success. But God was saying something different. He said, that's not my measuring stick. Here's what 1 Samuel 16, 7 says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
Vision is great. Success is great. Goals are great. But they're not everything. There's something else that matters more. In the summer of 2009, I, um, I kind of had this idea of like, oh, my life is getting on track. My kids at the time were 14, 11, and 10. I was working part-time. I was homeschooling one of my kids. But I thought, okay, I can probably like wedge in some time in my life to write. Like This is what God's given me to do. I want to do this. Now's my chance. Um, and then I kind of started not feeling very well. And then it occurred to me that maybe I was not feeling well in the way that like I needed to take a pregnancy test. And <laughs> it turned out that God's agenda and mine were not quite the same. <laughs> and I wasn't planning on having a fourth child. But God most definitely was planning on this person. And raising this person, really mostly alone, has taught me so much about love. And it's taught me about listening and being present for people who are suffering. And it's just stretched me and humbled me in so many ways. And, I mean, I had three kids at that point. I thought I knew a lot about, and not that you have to have kids to know how to love, but, um, but I felt like I had been stretched and knew a lot about love. But God just showed me, you have a lot more to learn. And it also taught me that um, there is something that's more important than my plans or my agenda and that's people. And I've just been reminded that there are um, just how much God cares about how we love and how we give our lives away. John 13, 34 and 35 says, I new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is everything. It's the greatest commandment. When we love, people see God. And they know more about who God is. But the truth about love is that it's hard, right? It's sacrificial. It's not always what we feel like doing. It's inconvenient, when I was going through my separation and my life was falling apart, someone came to my house and folded like these huge mountains of laundry that I just couldn't deal with. Another friend came and sat in the parking lot at the courthouse because I was afraid to go there alone, but I was also afraid to have her come in with me. <laughs> um, other friends made us meals. More recently, Jim Holmes. He always deserves a shout out, has come to my house to fix things, um, help me with my cars. Uh, in October, after my dad died, someone who I really don't know very well sent me a sympathy card, and it just meant so much to me. Uh, some of my boys' friends drove two hours on a Saturday to attend their grandfather's funeral. I mean, 
What teenagers drive two hours on a Saturday to attend the funeral of an old man they don't know? People who really, really know how to love. In John 15, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. I feel like some of you here today need to hear that the things happening in your life, the interruptions that have come your way, the they have a purpose. They're going to deepen your faith. They're going to deepen your character. They're going to deepen your love for the people that you encounter from here on out. So that when they're encountering you, they're also encountering the risen Christ. And the thing is, Christ first surrendered and died. And if we won't surrender and die to our own agenda, then I don't think there's much hope that when people encounter us that they'll encounter the risen Christ. I think of some of you whose lives have been turned upside down, people who are taking care of a sick spouse or an aging parent or a sick child. And these things are hard to do. It's like a hidden thing. There's no acclaim for it, but it's a holy agenda. God wants you to know that, that you and he are writing a story together, and that story is about love. And those people in your life, they need you. They need you to lay down your life and to do it without resentment and to do it with joy. And even if it means that for a time you're going to set aside some vision that God has given you or some dream that you have, it's okay because the bigger dream is that we would love people well. I know a man whose wife has Alzheimer's, and he is a person who loves to serve other people. He loves to serve in the church. He loves to serve his kids and his grandkids. But now he's caring for his wife full time, and he can't do those things that were something that he loved. It was a part of his identity. But he loves his wife deeply too, of course, and he would do anything for her. His love for her is costing him everything. What story are you telling with your life? The story that God is asking you to tell is the same one that he tells, and that is love. And the great thing is is that he keeps giving us invitations. He keeps stretching us. He'll keep showing us opportunities because our love can always grow bigger and deeper. God doesn't want us to be discouraged when our visions aren't coming to pass fast enough or when we get interrupted. Because the truth is, is that the highest call that we have is to love. And if we don't have love in us, then those big visions and dreams don't mean anything anyway. And that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, right? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. It's human to search for significance and meaning in our lives. And as Americans, a lot of times that that search looks like searching for success. But as people of faith, that search for significance should look like searching for ways to love others. We should love our friends. We should love our families. We should love our neighbors, which is literally every person on the planet, and love our enemies as well. That's our calling. The amazing thing about it is there aren't any special skills required for this. We just need our own willingness. I hadn't initially planned on talking about this, but yesterday when I was looking at my notes, I felt God prompt me to just talk a little bit about foster care. Uh, There are over 440,000 children on any given day in the foster care system. And if you feel God tugging at your heart about that, then I would say, yes, he's tugging at your heart about that. I feel like there's people here in this room that God is calling you to that. And I realize that's not for everybody. I mean, I have never done it. I know a lot of people who have. Um, and I feel like what, what they have said to me is doing foster care kind of costs you everything and you gain everything from it. Uh, like I said, I've never done it myself, but 20 years ago, um, or more than that, we took in a girl who had run away from home. She lived first with another family in our church, and she had to leave there, and then she came and lived with us. And I can tell you the truth, that was not my plan at all. Like, I have a way that I like life to be, and, you know, what I think I'm doing right now. And we were, we already had, like, a home church for teenagers at the time, and I just, like, I didn't want to, you know, have a teenage girl come and live with us. That's just the truth. But God had a different idea, and we did. And I can honestly say that having her live with us for a year was probably a greater blessing to me than it was for her. She, although... um, you know, we only had one child at the time. Our kids who were born after she lived with us still consider her to be their sister. That's how, what an important part of our family she became. And in fact, she sent me a text this week and she said, um, I had a dream about your new home. It is sweet and perfect. God gave me that dream so you're not afraid. And I just thought, like, that's so remarkable. <laughs> you know, it's like you... You do these things God asks you to do. You sow into people. And it just never, it never, ever stops coming back to you. (laughs) God has been really convicting me about the opportunities that I overlook. The way I may be doing something for someone um, just as inconvenient. And he's like, I'm sorry, can you not be inconvenienced? (laughs) You know, is it so terrible to go to the grocery store and make a meal and deliver it to someone? Is that really too hard for you? (laughs) When Andrew Greenplate spoke last week, um, I was really convicted about, you know, just when he shared about the increase of the persecution of the church in China. 
And I felt God say, like, hey, can you spend a little more time praying? Like, can you break out that prayer journal you keep saying you're going to use where you remember to pray for all the people you want to pray for? (laughs) I hope that you're not hearing the things I'm saying as, like, legalistic or you need to do more or you're not doing enough. I just feel like this is God inviting us to partner with him and to tell a story of love. It's an adventure. (laughs) It isn't a law. As a church, we've been talking and praying a lot about revival. And when it happens, the people who come into the church are going to need to be loved. I expect that this will actually be completely overwhelming. And Bruce and Lynn can't do this by themselves. <laughs> the existing home church leaders we have, they can't do it by themselves. This is going to be like an all-hands-on-deck situation. Everybody's going to need to participate. Are you ready for that? <laughs> I came to this church with my husband in the mid-1990s, and... Um, the renewal was going on. It was like a crazy outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I think there were meetings here like four nights a week or something. And it was amazing. (laughs) It was. And at that time, a teenage boy came to us and he asked us, you know, will you have, uh, will you start a home church in your house where I can bring friends from high school? Um, And this kid, he had the heart of an evangelist and we said, sure. And it was wonderful. It was, God did amazing things, but it was also really hard to, it stretched us to the limits. And it was also annoying in ways, like we'd put out food for them and they would like go in our cupboards and refrigerator and just eat all our food. (laughs) (laughs) They needed us in their daily lives. They would call us all the time for all kinds of things. Help me, help my friend. You know, kids would call me in the morning when they missed their bus and asked me to drive them to school. (laughs) And I've reflected a lot on that experience, things we did right and things we did wrong and what I would do differently if I ever did it again. But I would say the one mistake that we definitely did not make is that we gave our hearts to those kids. We loved them. And we were there for them, and they knew it. And 20 years later, a lot of them still know it. They... They still, you know, come to me at times. God and love play the long game. If you're praying for revival, are you ready for the people who will not look like you or act like you or make decisions like you? Are you ready to be patient and kind and long-suffering as God works in people's lives, because that is what revival will demand. If you want significance and meaning, if you want your life to tell a story that matters, if you want to live like Jesus, ask God to show you, how can I love someone today? I am certain that this is a prayer that God will answer. What if we all did this every single morning? What if we said, God, show me someone to love today, someone who needs your love. When we give God space to do these things, we can expect big things. 
in September, um, my dad was, he was living in a nursing home and he was found unresponsive late one night. He was given CPR and he was taken to the hospital despite the fact that he had a DNR, DNR order in place. So at the hospital, they realized he had this order and the doctor said to him, what do you want me to do? Your heart's out of rhythm. What should I do? And my dad said, shock me. I want to live. I cannot stop thinking about those words. Shock me. I want to live. I feel like what God is saying today, if you want to live, you have to lose your life. You lose your life by loving others. Jesus said that this is how people will know we belong to him. Not by what we say, not by what we believe, but by how we love. You know, I love so much... um,